Welcome to the Swim Swim Breakdown. We are back. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, coming to you from Albuquerque, New Mexico. We got Swim Swim Editor-in-Chief Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We've got our international correspondent, Loretta Race, coming from Kentucky, Ohio, <laughs> somewhere in the border. triangle. It's right on the border. Kentucky is not in Ohio, <laughs> Coleman. <laughs> from Kentucky, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> We took a little break for the holidays. How are we doing? You feeling good. recharged? I am. First yeah, snow of definitely. the season in Philadelphia, so it's a good day. <laughs> cool. Just, just enough that it, there's a little dusting, but not enough that I have to go out and shovel. It's that sweet spot. <laughs> nice. Uh, let's talk about something. We've got, we've got a surprising amount of news, uh, starting with breaking news this morning. We were <laughs> about to record. We had to stop and re-record to, to finalize this news down, uh, they're canceling the Knoxville Pro Swim um, due to due to COVID, I guess, uh, for lack of a better umbrella term. Uh, do we think this is very impactful in terms, considering we have a long course trials at the end of April, do we think not racing long course meters in, in the middle of January is going to have a big effect? Well, first of all, I think we should address that the real reason that they're canceling is uh, because Coleman wasn't going to go because it's his 30th <laughs> birthday and he needed to have a super soft birthday party uh, in whatever super soft place that's not Knoxville that he is currently in. Um, I never I'll know where creepy. Coleman's going to be from week to week, but that, that's the real reason they're canceling. Um, you know, I, it's, it's an interesting question because the timing this year is sort of something that we haven't seen in a generation of the, the April trials and then the May world championships, um, as FINA tries to fit all of these different meets into the calendar. Um, you know, I, I think it's okay because there was so much racing in the fall. I don't think anybody's going to miss this meet. Part of me wonders if they had um, low enrollment. Last year, the pro swims were, were very, very small. Between you know the college season ongoing and everybody being tired from all of the fall racing, I know there's some swimmers that we haven't seen a lot of, but you know they had a shot at winter nationals, which was not all that long ago. So I don't ultimately think this is a big deal. Um, my guess is that that there were only a handful of true world championship caliber qualifiers that were going to be there anyway. Um, but you know, it, it makes me question the future of the series. There's no prize money this year. And it's kind of, I think during COVID people learned a lot about going fast at smaller meets and, and the ability to do that. We saw a lot of swimmers go fast at smaller meets and I wonder what the future of the pro swim series really is. So is the no prize money, is that like a temporary thing or is that ongoing? I mean, because that's, that's a huge deterrent, obviously. I mean, that's a major incentive to actually just get out and race. And if that's taken away, <laughs> you don't want to go, you know, middle of January. I mean, it's what makes it a pro swim. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and it, it kind of comes down to what you believe the, um, the, the motivator for this is right. Like somebody in at USA swimming will claim that, Oh, you know, this is an opportunity for our elite swimmers to get serious long course racing, mm. whatever, whatever, but like, okay, then you're basically giving up on it as a spectator series, right? Then it's just a, it's just right. sort of a niche series because spectators care about the money, the prize money 
makes it interesting to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It, it is, it might be too expensive to run this series. If it's just for a handful of elites, if that's the primary purpose, I'm sure there's a less expensive way to do it. You know, Tim Hinchy has changed a lot of things since he's been the CEO of USA swimming. Uh, maybe we could get him on and, and talk to him about the future of the pro swim series. You know, on that brain though, I had a quick question though, like the FINA champion series, is that ever coming back or what's going on with that? My guess. Definitely not. You haven't said anything. (laughs) Okay. I wish. No, because a lot of big stars showed up for that, you know? Because there was a lot of money. Not a coincidence. My guess is they, they have, my guess is they're working on something that will look different I think that was so clearly just a way to buy favor of athletes. It was just kind right. of slap shot thrown together as part of their battle with the response. ISL. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think I, FINA between COVID and, and jamming extra meets in and the new um, administration and short course worlds wasn't exactly the best organized event that we've ever been to. Um, my guess is they are going to work on something for maybe 2023 or 2025. I'm sure they've got something in mind, but I don't think that mm. format will return. I, I feel like from the athlete perspective, I, like you said, it's possible that enrollment was down for Knoxville. And so maybe some just didn't plan on going, but like, you, you come off the Olympics, you have maybe a month, you get right into ISL, maybe you do world cups, maybe you train for another month and then you do ISL playoffs and then maybe go to short course worlds, but Mm -hmm. that would have been less than a month from short course worlds to Knoxville. But now you have two, three plus months before the next long course pro swim in Des Moines you know, athletes love their training blocks. Coaches certainly love their training blocks. So now you have a little more wiggle room to, I feel, get some of that heavy training in, put the base down before you get into the long course racing season that is coming prematurely comparatively to other years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, Braden, you mentioned this, but do we, for the future of the pro swim, do we think this is going to impact the Des Moines pro swim next up in the list, which is the first weekend in March. You know, I think you made a good point, Coleman, that the first weekend of March is a lot different than the middle of January, just based on the American swimming calendar. The first weekend of March, a lot of swimmers coaches are focused on other things, namely the college teams. Um, so, you know, that meet we have to remember, it seems funny that people would go to Des Moines, right? The Des Moines would be the big draw, but that was the big meet where everybody swam really fast just before the COVID shutdown in 2020. So people are willing to go to Des Moines, even though it's not that easy to get to, and it's pretty cold in Des Moines in the beginning of March and all these other reasons. Um, I think, I think that one makes more sense from the perspective of a long course training meet. Um, cause what would that be six or seven weeks out of trials, something like that. So that's, yeah. that's kind of your, your test of, as you said, yes. um, everybody's doing their big training blocks right now and then they're testing Des Moines and then they start thinking about a taper. And I, I think that timing makes sense. Um, but again, to me, you don't need a whole series to support a few meets that make sense. So in my mind, just eliminate the series, have sort of a, a, a less formal series of meets like this meets like the one in Georgia and uh, do it that way, at least until, until there's an appetite shown to revive it as a true pro series. 
or yeah, if there's no monetary incentive, then I say cut it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe maybe Hinchy has a different plan of what he wants a a pro series or circuit or something to look like, or maybe he just thinks, oh well, with ISL, there's enough money out there. We don't need to do it too. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> It Never seems, enough money, Coleman. Where's Mel Stewart when we need him? I, I agree. I'm just I'm trying to get into the brain of USA Swimming CEO, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what how the pro swim moves forward uh, in international news. Um, like two days after Christmas, we saw a world record, which was pretty dang rare. Emirsachi, uh, who got <laughs> DQ'd not once but twice at Short Course Worlds in Abu Dhabi broke Cameron Vanderberg's 12-year-old 50-breast short course world record 24.95 at Turkish Nationals where there were no underwater cameras used. What do we think of the legitimacy of this world record? I personally, I, I've read all of the comments. I've read all of the Australians <laughs> trying to convince me <laughs> that it was very clear and obvious what happened. I cannot see it. I, I can honestly say with a straight face that I can't see what they're seeing. That's so clear and obvious. So on that level, I, I guess I don't have any grounds to doubt it. I think this, this is starting to open up this bigger question of do world records need to now be marked as, you know, underwater yes. camera versus no underwater camera, because yes. the circumstances are just so different. I mean, we saw the swims, the swim in South Africa too. That was a South African record. I feel like anytime somebody breaks a record at a non FINA meet now, we have to include, unlike at the FINA short course world championships where they DQ'd every single breaststroke or entered, there were no cameras involved here. So I, it's, it's, I wonder how you prepare your athletes for that as a coach. Do you not think about it until you're going to the FINA meet or do you try to fix it, you know, at, at every meet? Um, I think we know what I, we I would think, like for the coaches to say, but. I, I think athletes kind of push it as far as they can go when there's no cameras, no one like with the microscope basically. And then, then they get caught when there's underwater cameras. So I think that's the difference. I think it's, it's, it's they push the technique as far as it'll go quasi legally and then they get hammered, you know, at like short course worlds. So I totally agree. There needs to be some kind of asterisk that's like cameras or no cameras, you know, for like the world records. So many of them have said, you know, I didn't know I did it. I didn't know I did it. And, and um, mm -hmm. our senior writer, Jared Anderson, who is the most honest guy ever, he was a pretty good <laughs> breaststroker. He was like a, you know, um, NCAA B finalists kind of had a chance at maybe making a world's team at some point in the 50 breast. So he's a, you know, he's a good enough breaststroker. He always said to me that he had a point in his career where he was doing a, a funny foot wiggle underwater on his pullout and he straight faced had no idea, um, he was doing it. And this was 10 years ago. He had no reason to lie about it. He's also anybody that knows Jared, he just doesn't lie. It's not in his, his nature. <laughs> so I tend to believe some of them when they say they don't feel it. But then the question is, if it's not getting identified to the, until FINA meets, like, are we going to start seeing teams installing their own underwater cameras in their mm. training pools, seeing what they can see and trying to fix mm. it before they get to the meets? Because it's kind of, 
I, and I know this is the athletes' complaints. They feel like it was sprung on them. They, that Fina was just like, surprise, you're all getting disqualified now. Um, which, of course, isn't true because the rules have been what the rules have been. But Fina did sort of not, they didn't change the written rule, but they changed the application of the rule. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody knew that was going to happen. So really, so they didn't know that ahead of time. They just, I don't know if they didn't know that the cameras were going to be there Okay. or, you know, swimmers tend to not follow the industry very well, which <laughs> for often for very good reason. Um, but like, I don't know if they didn't know, we didn't report it because like we weren't told that all of a sudden, I guess they were told in the pre-meet meeting, all of the coaches were told about mm-hmm. the, the underwater cameras, but like, I don't know if anybody really knew what that meant. Okay. Okay. Um, well, and they were technically used at the Olympics, right? Like this was instilled at the Olympics. However, there were significantly less DQs at the Olympics for, that's you know, what's bogus you, about you can, it to me. yeah, yeah you, you can what, interpret that as you will. I, and I'm going to interpret it as I will Coleman. They intentionally didn't call <laughs> DQs at the Olympics because they didn't want to ruin the Olympics and all the money that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they can call something so they can look. So there's people constantly watching and then they can also use the cameras to like review a questionable call that somebody on deck made. Is that right? Coleman, you did the interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think they have to call it. I don't think they can look at the cameras until after, but they okay. can use it to, to confirm. Okay, but so I think it's not like somebody's like with waiting they, there. They can initiate the call with the cameras. That's what I thought. That's what, what I thought. What I'm unclear on is do they have to make the call with the cameras in real time or can they review to make the call? I don't mm-hmm. think they can review to make the call. So they can initiate in real time and then ha- can review to confirm. Okay, okay. Maybe. Hmm. We'll get, we'll so get they did that like that 15 times or what? Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was, it was a lot, which I, like, I, I support the growing pains of it. Like, I think I like the rule. I think it's fine. But like you said, Loretta, athletes are going to push the boundaries. So if you're like, I, I don't see any other, anything else happening besides if you're not at a FINA meet, I'm going to dolphin or, you know, I'm going to yeah. do undulation type things with my stroke. And then when I'm at the phenomene, I'll just try not to do it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. because, because that's what they're incentivized to do. Mm-hmm. So there's still a yep. lot of money to be made at those non phenomenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially at ISL where, as we know, DQs are few and far between unless you're Lily King, I guess. Until yeah, I was about to say. Changes the entire course of the leagues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. On that note, we're going to skip ahead to most read articles on Swim Swam of 2021. We, we put this out every year. It's, it's fun to click through and just look at what our most read articles were. It was an Olympic year. So obviously, you know, when I was looking at this, I had to assume, oh, yeah, Olympics are going to be high. I was shocked that the Olympic trials recaps, prelims and finals, were like head and shoulders above Olympic games recap and finals. Braden, I mean, you're you're the editor. Do you were you surprised by that as well, or was that pretty standard? 
I was surprised that they were higher. I guess I would say I, I, um, I expected them to be close. I didn't expect to get as much traffic from the Olympics as we have in the past. Um, I just think, I think the way they did it with the morning finals, I think that's confusing to follow for the average person. They don't know which day it is and which races are happening in that. I think that just leaves people to kind of follow the meet as a passive casual fan. Um, which doesn't lead them to swim swam, right? Like, and, and we saw TV ratings down to start with, but if you're just kind of showing, watching whatever you've been shown, then, um, then you're not going to be motivated to go read a niche swimming website to learn more. So I guess, I guess it's not like shocking to me. The Olympics felt a little bit flat in a lot of ways this year. Um, you know, something like 60% of our audience is American and the Americans didn't have the best meat that they've ever had. And, um, you know, the only time zone that it was really kind of great for was Asia and we don't have a big Asian audience. So I don't know, is what it is. Yeah. I, I kind of chalked it up to timing for the most part. I, I feel like what Braden is saying is, is accurate. I think that it was hard to follow real time. I mean, even myself reporting, I was like, wait, is it day two or day three? Like I was getting confused. Yeah. <laughs> so for I Europe, think that it kind was of... terrible. Yeah. It was unwatchable yeah. for Europe. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds like it would be really bad. So I, I hadn't thought of that. That makes total sense. Um, for just, just from a quick review, is there anything else that stuck out to you guys about our top 50 most read articles of 2021? You know, I, when I read these things, I always think about the things that um, sort of felt like they were a big deal. You know, there are certain things in swimming that like are a big deal, um, but kind of don't necessarily move the market. Um, So, you know, I'm thinking along the lines of, of something like the Bill Wadley issue. Like that was a huge deal for American swimming. Uh, it happened to come out on the same day as the Cleet Keller news. So it was overshadowed and, and in is a little inside baseball, right? Like there's only a certain few people that actually care about what's going on with the president of ASCA, even though it has big ramifications regardless. Um, so, you know, that's, that's always what stands out to me is articles that in my mind are, um, kind of a big deal, but in our readers' minds, maybe don't like, I don't think a single world record post was in the top 50. And that kind of thing is, is always interesting to me. I was just looking at the article and I think one of them was Phelps's view on Dressel being left off the 800 free relay. So I think that's kind of telling that people still value Phelps's opinion and kind of see him as kind of an athlete authority, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I think that that was kind of telling in a way, um, he still one. has a lot of pull. <laughs> uh, in, a, in a similar vein, I'm shocked that Olympic gold medalist Maya Dorado announces pregnancy was number 19. <gasps> I was surprised about that too. I know. Well, well, she she got kind of a second wave of enthusiasm for, after her um, her Michael Andrew comments. So I wonder how much of that uh, was. That's a good point. That. You know, some of these uh, things right. like our most read article wasn't even about swimming. So some <laughs> of these things just get picked up by, you know, a few years ago, our April Fool's joke got picked up by People magazine, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't know it was an April Fool's joke. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, that got a ton of traffic because it got picked up by every major news outlet in the world, even though it wasn't actually real news. Um, 
So I think sometimes that's what drives some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the same vein, speaking of other tops and accolades of 2021, uh, as we do every year, we put out our yearly SWAMI awards. Uh, and so for you guys, I just want to know your personal SWAMI of what was your favorite moment of 2021? So for me, it was Arena Titmus, Australia, beating Katie Ledecky, American 400 free Shady. Olympic Games. Shady. I predicted it. I knew it was going to happen. I got so much hate mail and it happened. And obviously Dean Boxall's reaction like epitomized my reaction as well. I was so stoked. And it, it proved that 2019 World Championships wasn't a fluke. Yes, Ledecky said she was sick. Okay, that's fine. But she she broke the Olympic record, Titmus did as well. So she made she put an exclamation point on it. And for me, that was thrilling. It was it was a great race. So the, my biggest takeaway is that Loretta is a pro Dean Boxall celebration. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That <laughs> doesn't surprise me even a little bit. Which which did get the swammy for our viral video of the yes! year. See, <laughs> I'm <not>. I'm <laughs> in sync with the website here at Brady. Yeah. <laughs> Could it not? Good towing the company line. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Uh Braden, favorite moment, swimming moment of 2021. I think the best swimming moment of 2021 is still not being talked about enough. And that was when Sarah Schoistrom. Uh, won the silver medal in the 53 at the Olympics. I, I just, I think we can't like hype enough how big of a deal it was that she came back from that broken elbow so quickly and essentially didn't miss anything that mattered, came back at the Olympics, won a medal, probably would have had more medals of different colors had she not broken her elbow. But coming back that quickly, then going straight into ISL, winning ISL MVP, um, and, and all of the other things that she did this year. And I just, I'm, I'm still blown away by how quickly she came back from that injury. Right. Good one. Fair enough. Uh, my favorite part of 2021 was Maggie McNeil period. Uh, but that was highlighted, uh, by her NCAA grand slam, where she is now reigning NCAA champion, Olympic champion, long course world champion, short course world champion in the 100 fly. She has the NCAA record. She has a world record in the 50 back. I mean, she was just, she built off of 2019 and just steamrolled in 2021. She was sensational. Next up on our list, the NCAA midseason projections are out. We took the top times in the country right now after all the midseason meets, put them on a psych sheet, scored that psych sheet. The results were, at least for the top spots, not that surprising. UVA women are seated to win. Texas men are seated to win. But below that, it gets a little interesting. Uh, Braden, what do you think about these midseason scored psychs? You know, I think the biggest thing, uh, you know, Texas number one, Virginia number one, that's what we expected. That's what we expected <clears throat> to be at the end of the year. Texas is so far ahead of everybody else. It's not even funny. Um, a few things we have to remember, you know, the Cal men were missing a couple of swimmers who were preparing for short course worlds, a couple of big scorers at their midseason meet. Um, although some of those short course converted times probably wind up in the simulator. Anyways, I think, I think the number two teams in both rankings were the biggest surprises. Um, the Alabama women 
and the uh, Arizona State men. You know, I think we we knew they were both good teams, but I don't think we expected them to be that good. And when you start looking through the rosters, I know we're going to talk more about Arizona State later, so I won't go too deep on that. You know, they they have one or two stars with a lot of scoring caliber swimmers, and that leads to good relays. That leads to, you know, 10 times five is the same as five times 10. Um, so I think that's how they're getting there. I don't expect either to actually be second at the end of the year, um, but I think those were clearly the biggest surprises. I'm going with that. <laughs> Loretta loves college swimming. I, so, um, I have so much time to cover it, you know? <laughs> the the I think the biggest surprise, and maybe it shouldn't be a surprise, but was how far down the list of um, qualifiers that the Stanford women were. You know, we know Stanford women are good with Reagan Smith and Tori Husk and all of the other national team type swimmers that they have on their roster. Um, but right now they only have nine swimming qualifiers as compared to 17 for Tennessee and Cal, 13 for Virginia, 12 for Michigan mm -hmm. and NC State and Alabama and Ohio State and Louisville. Um, and so those nine are still projected to score a lot of points. But Stanford is a very top heavy team right now. And I think in March, that's going to come back to bite them. They, they, you know, it's what I've been saying all along that if they're going to beat Virginia and it's, it feels like they should be able to, because of all these stars, those stars are all going to have to hit. They're all going to have to win, you know, multiple events and get lots of top three finishes. Um, so, you know, Stanford's margin is, is pretty slim, even though they're seated to score the third most points. It's not a lot of swimmers that are doing that. I, so how accurate do you think this is in terms of number of swimmers who will qualify per team? Cause it's like, I don't think Tennessee's going to have 17 qualifiers, you know, after, after uh, conference meets. And I also don't think Stanford's only going to have nine. Right. Mm -hmm. So like how much of a grain of salt do you feel like these projections are, should be taken with? You know, the, the points can vary widely as the season goes on, mm -hmm. but the reality is only 16 score, right? And in the women's meet, um, there's about 39 or 40 that are going to go in each event. If you aren't qualified at this point, you're probably not going to score. So, you know, we can talk about how accurate it is. I'd have to run <clears> the data. My, I think, you know, I, I did, I looked at a few cases, um, and people's mid-season qualifier numbers are pretty similar to their end-of-season qualifier numbers. It doesn't change as much as you'd think. Um, but, you know, it's kind, it kind of comes down to if you're not qualified at this point, unless you, you know, you missed for illness or et cetera, et cetera, you're probably not making a big scoring difference one way or the other. So what might Stanford sneak in a 10th or 11th qualifier? Probably. Um, but I don't know if they're necessarily going to score enough points to make a difference on the mm -hmm. team, team standings, especially when you're looking at 40 invitees per event. That's a long way to go from invited to scoring. Scoring. Yeah. You know, Interesting. You, you, Gretchen Walsh is a great example. She's easily qualified to NCAAs, even though she missed Virginia's midseason meet because the the legitimate big scores at NCAAs can just kind of cruise to their qualification. It's not really super significant. That's why that's why A cuts don't really mean anything. They're kind of yeah. symbolic. Yeah. Uh fair enough. That's not what I would have guessed, but I guess we'll see how things play out moving forward. Uh sp speaking of an 
NCAA impact swimmer, uh, Ilya Karun, who's the surprise national record breaker at the junior nationals meet committed to Arizona state. Uh, he swims for the sandpipers. He was unranked in our last, uh, top 20 recruits for 2023. How much do you think his stock will rise from now until he actually gets to Arizona state? Because he's already 45 and 142 in the butterflies. It's always so hard to project these kids because he's made such a huge jump and everybody wants to say, Oh, well, he can't be done, but you know, sometimes people are done. You know, sometimes they've hit their taper and, they're done for a while. Um, so I think, I think the improvements will be more marginal. I don't think we're going to see him going like a 44 mid before he gets to college or anything crazy like that. Um, I could see him go a 45 low. What's the, what's the 17, 18 record Coleman, look that up while I talk. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, he's a great swimmer and he's got that sort of sandpiper thing that they always talk about where they, they make their swimmers be at least, decent at everything before they let them focus on a few events. Um, so, you know, he's got the mile, he's got the butterfly races. We still haven't really seen what that turns into in college swimming, um, on a large scale, you know, Sam Piper has been turning out good swimmers for a long time, but not like they have now. So I'll be interested to see how that translate. I think Bowman is a, a good fit training wise. It'll be a pretty smooth transition from what he's doing at Sandpiper. I still think Will Modulin is the number one recruit in the class, but it's very close. And for him to go from unranked to the number two recruit in the class is incredible. If he, if he drops more time, that just shows more about how Ron Aiken and the Sandpipers are incredible coaches because I think handling the mentality of a swimmer who goes from a 156 to a 142 in the 200 fly in a year is harder than anybody wants to believe it could be. I think that could, can create problems. Um, so it's not, it's not without its challenges too, but it's just really impressive how quickly he has gotten this good. Reference, uh, 17, 18 nag boys, hunter fly Tom shields, 44, 91. I think he could get, get it, but not, not much more than that. Yeah. Although he's young, he might he might still be 18 when he's in college. I think he will be because he's a junior now and he's 16. So maybe he'll get it in college. I don't think he'll get it. Before. I don't think he'd go much lower before college. Yeah, so that's certainly one to watch. All right, it's time. You missed it. We missed it. Let's play some sink or swim. First off on today's sink or swim, Anton Chupkov, who said he was retiring after the Olympics, was back in the pool. He, he won the 200 breast of the 2021 Vladimir Salmakov Cup in Russia. Do we think that he will be back in the water swimming at international meets this summer? I swim it, but not swim. because he wants to. <laughs> I swim it, because, but not because he wants to. I think it's pretty clear that he doesn't want to swim. But in some countries in the world, what you want to do doesn't dictate what you do. Um, and I think based on where he lives, it, this feels to me, I don't have any inside info. I'd love to get him on the podcast, but we only ever hear from him filtered through Russian state-run media. Um, I, I, it feels to me like he doesn't really want to swim anymore, but that there's some kind of a financial or political or otherwise pressure 
that is going to make him do it. No, I'm, I'm swimming it, but I don't get that vibe. I get the vibe that maybe he was premature in saying he had an impending retirement. And so I feel like he's, he's kind of in that gray zone where he doesn't know if he's going to retire or not. So he's kind of still kind of coasting. I still think he's going to play this year out 2022. So I, I'm swimming him. Going back to the ASU men, sink or swim, will Arizona State get second at NCAAs? in March. I'm definitely sinking this. Um, I think we have to remember that Arizona State hasn't been great at hitting NCAA tapers in the past. Um, We have to remember that Cal is still hiding there with a very, very deep team. You know, I think, I don't think Grant House is going to win the 200 free at NCAAs and he's seated number one. Um, You know, Leon Marchand has to deal with Carson Foster and Hugo Gonzalez. Um, So, you know, I, I think there's enough spots. I, you know, coming out of the COVID redshirt year, we didn't really know what to think of Arizona state. Like they've had a lot of good recruiting classes. They've had some of those guys not work out. Um, You know, Cameron Craig is a, is a big one that comes to mind. And, and it's just kind of hard to like transition forward after this year of, of not having a team. So I think they're better than we probably expected them to be. Um, I don't think, I think top five is very reasonable. Uh, Maybe competing with NC state and Florida for like third place is kind of their top end. I don't think they're better than Cal. I'm thinking it as well. I I do feel like they're going to be top five just based on the swims that I've seen, but I don't think, I think they're kind of just on this, on this huge, you know, path after this red shirt year and, but it's not going to last all the way until NCAA championships. Fair enough. Uh, Next up, Rio Olympic gold medalist Joe Schooling is entering the Singapore National Service. We knew this day was coming for a while, uh, but do you think this marks the end of Schooling's swimming career? Sink. I think he's going to do his service. He's not really going to be sure what to do after that, and he's going to try to make a comeback. I don't think we're ever going to see him at the Olympics or again, or the world championships, but I think he's going to try to make a comeback. I do think that a big driver of his last few years besides money was the military deferment. Um, but you know, between some personal changes that have happened to him and in, in the last year, um, his dad dying and other things, you know, I think he was ready to do the military thing, get that out of the way. But I think, I, I think coming out of that, he's going to want to see if he's got anything left. The ISL is still around. Maybe that just looks like being a full-time ISL swimmer. Um, so I'm sinking it. I don't, I don't think he's going to do anything in his international swimming career again, but I don't think he's quite done. Okay. I forget if it's, what was the question? Sink or swim that he's doing what? Uh, is, is this Sink. the end of his swimming career? Okay, then I'm swimming that. I do feel it's the end of his career. Um, I feel like he's more an ambassador for Singaporean swimming. I feel like he's like the figurehead of the whole uh, development of the sport within his nation. And I don't think, I honestly, I, I don't know what happened at, at the Olympics. Like he was, way, he was like, what, 34th? Or I mean, he was way, 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 way off. And I don't know. I just feel like he's not, his heart isn't in like the pool anymore. I think it's more just like the whole 
just carrying the tradition of swimming within his nation. And I, I don't feel like it's him going for medals anymore. I'm with Loretta. I, th- I think he's going to do his two years. I think he's going to go into finance as we've heard he wants to do and go make a bunch of money in banking or something. He already has a bunch of money. Exactly. <laughs> what do people with bunches of money want? More, More money. More money. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I think it, it, like you said, Loretta doesn't seem like his heart's been in it for a while. He's, he's been training with Sergio at Virginia Tech, but it's like he hasn't really done much. I, I, I feel like he's, his role would be better suited as an ambassador because he's such an icon, especially in his home country now. What better Dang. way to ambass than <laughs> from in the pool? Yeah. I don't think it works as well if, no. like, you're not that fast. Yeah. Right. You still might be the best 100 butterflyer in Singapore. I mean, I think he was at the Olympics, question mark. <laughs> anyway uh and last on our list we found a way to keep having adam Beatty be last go us uh <laughs> adam Beatty announced project immortal where he is shooting to make his hunter breast world record untouchable for generations to come i mean sink or swim what <laughs> uh will he succeed in project immortal sink because fina is going to change the rules and <laughs> they're going to be able to dolphin kick to 15 meters or something and i i think i mean this i don't think i'm being sarcastic um i i i think that adam pd has swum his best hunter breaststroke time um that's so that's kind of, i guess that's kind of my opinion on this is i think his time as it stands right now is so far ahead of the world that it's ridiculous you know, he makes very fast swimmers look slow. So I think that his current time will stand for a while, but, you know, Adam Peaty has gotten very much into this sort of athlete as, as a marketing tool lifestyle. And I, it just feels to me like everything that he posts on social media now is all about his brand, his PD brand. And I just, I don't know that he's going to be able to go faster than 56, eight, um, so I think that means I'm sinking Project Immortal. Yeah, I I, I'm sinking it only because he is 56 high. If he were a little closer to 55 high, I would be kind of more buying into it. So it's more like Braden said that that time is so far ahead of the world and actually so far ahead of what he's done recently that to have him drop almost another second is just a huge undertaking. Um, but, but it's PD. I mean, he, he surprised himself by getting that 56 ahead of schedule. Um, that was his project 56. So it's, it's possible. I'm not going to like a hundred percent say it's not possible. I just don't think it's likely. I, I mean, he, he obviously wasn't specific in like how long he actually wanted this record to last, but, um, I have to sink it because you can't do that. Like people are <laughs> going to catch up to you eventually, right? Like no world record. The, the oldest world records we have right now are from the suits from 12 years ago, which is a long time in their own right. But like, that's, you know, that's barely a generation. Peterman, <laughs> somebody, somebody drop that too free. You know, please. Coleman yeah. in Adam Petey's own words, and I'm using quotes because this is from his book. Mm-hmm. He's learned how to lose gracefully, though it doesn't happen often. 
that's true and to, though. And to me, that's, that's Adam Peaty in a nutshell. I, I, I just think, I, I think Adam Peaty has gotten really into Adam Peaty. You know, it's, <laughs> it's Adam Peaty wants to both be the guy who loses gracefully and the guy who never loses. Right. Like, okay. Okay. I think, and never think, wears clothes, never wears clothes. Yeah. I, Why I would think he? Adam, <laughs> yeah. If I looked like Adam Peaty, I'd never wear clothes. Either. <laughs> Um, I think Adam Peaty is just very focused on his image, on his book, on his celebrity. Um, and I think that at some point that does, that wears on your swimming, especially as you get into a certain age and yada, yada, yada. So I just, I think but at Adam the same Peaty time, he only swims one event, but he only good. swims the one event though. So that's, that's another thing. And, which, I mean, which we've seen a lot of old men have yeah. success in. Santos. 50 fly. Yeah, but well, but Santos, even like Nick Santos isn't doing book tours. Yeah, but even like you look at the breaststroke and like all the old Brazilian dudes like uh Felipe Lima, Felipe Franca Silva, uh you have the Italian. Okay, I'm going to say what I've been trying to say. I'm going to try to Uh-oh. say I think when you become too too interested in your own celebrity, you lose your edge as an athlete. I think he's going to lose his edge because he's at he you know, he wants to be both the guy that hates short course and the guy that thinks that ISL is the greatest thing ever. He wants to be the guy that always wins and the guy that loses gracefully. Like he just wants to be everything to everybody, which is not uncommon in, in people who have had success. And I, but I just think that's going to take his edge away and I don't think he's going to get back to where he was. Do you, so follow up. Do you think if he lowered his world record, that would in any way at all, if he won a best time. Six, eight, seven. Yeah. If, if he goes a best time, do you think that solidifies Project Immortal? Do you think that that does it? No, he defined it himself as a time that's going to last forever and ever. So it has to be something like a 55 9 or something freaking well, this insane. Is, this is the beauty of this marketing scheme, right? Like we're talking <laughs> about it. By the time yeah. it happens or doesn't happen, <laughs> like there's going to be a few swim swam readers who are going to bust him a little bit about it. But like for the most part, and all the 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 hordes of loyal fans that bought his book and whatever, like they're not going to get a refund on their books and on their Adam Peaty swim clinics for it. So like he can say whatever he wants, and 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 we're not going to be like watching. Oh, so like let's say Adam Peaty goes a fifty six six next summer we're not going to be watching say oh that person broke 56 8 but not 56 6 that means project immortal is still intact Uh, you know whatever i think i think for me to feel like this was a cool thing because i'm going to remember it because i'm probably going to be the one that's going to have to do one of these stupid podcasts in five years and talk about it um he's got to drop another half a second at least i do agree and not his mentality but i agree with the ultimate thought Okay, so here's a follow-up. I know this podcast is already too long. Here's a follow-up. Has he overhyped it to where if he goes 56-7, even though it's a new world record, we all go, Meh. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. How has he overhyped it? We, we did one post. He called it Project Immortal. But, but, but we did he one post on it. He's not, I follow his Instagram, Twitter, whatever, correspond with him. He doesn't like every five seconds say, Immortal, Immortal. He doesn't. You know what I mean? He, well, did, he he presented it once. Well, to me, this this falls under the same category as like the the Ledecky effect, right? Like if if uh, if if he drops a tenth of a second in the hundred breast, 
maybe maybe he will say oh i did it but like people won't be like oh they'll just be like oh you win the best time pd great job i I bet this is maybe this is all a setup and he's gonna drop a comic book like katinka did what yeah in his comic comic book pd goes a 54 in the hundred breasts no that'd be sweet (laughs) be pretty sweet pd comic book all right this is a swim swim breakdown tune in next week for more swimming news see ya